You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 71. Hello, Literary Alchemists. I'm Terry Mixon. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dive right into it, exploring what works about the story, what doesn't work, trying to transform the raw ideas into literary, literary gold. gold. Yes, awesome. Terry Mixon, co-host of the Dead Robot Society, author extraordinaire and snark master. Dude, I am so glad to have you back for this brainstorming episode of the Roundtable, man. Thanks for thanks for making the time. This has been a blast so far. I don't know that I'm an extraordinary at anything. Uh, I think you may sell yourself short, sir. I, I I have followed you for many, many years, and you have distinguished yourself on many levels. Not all of them we can talk about in a public forum, but you have definitely distinguished yourself. It's all a sham. <laughs> it's a lie. It's a lie. Well, there's one thing that isn't a lie, and that is the fact that our guest host has returned. So let's bring him back. Dear friends, uh, returning from his fabulous and splendid 20 minutes with of just seven days ago, we are only too pleased to welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Kevin Scott. Kevin, I cannot tell you how delighted I am at the prospect of brainstorming a story with you. Thank you for making the time and and, and joining us for this, for this bit of creative fraud. Off. You're welcome. It's a very comfy big chair as well. I didn't Thank think you'd you. provide a chair, but you did. It was amazing. Absolutely. And it's big. It's overstuffed. Uh, uh, it, and, and it has been cleaned. I promise you. We, we are very diligent about that. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, Kevin, uh, uh, as as anyone who listened to the twenty minutes with knows, you are all over the genre map, uh, writing exquisite tales for for young people and old, for for those uh, diving into the darkness of the Warhammer forty k uh, and the delight and wonder and mystery of Doctor Who. So I'm just gonna sit back here and ask you what in the world is coming up for you in the coming weeks and months in the world of Kevin Scott. Um, the big thing is the Doctor Who um, comic, the mini series I've been writing over the last few months, which comes out next month from Titan Comics. It's a return of the ninth Doctor who was played on telly by Christopher Eccleston 10 years ago, which is why we're doing it, because we can't believe it's 10 years years. since he came back. Um, (laughs) So it's a five-issue miniseries coming from Titan. It's entitled Weapons of Past Destruction, um, and it's very exciting. And so big launch coming in March, and then that'll be obviously going for a few months. I'm going to be over at San Diego Comic Con for the first time. Oh, very cool. um, To talk about it. They're very, very cool. Very excited about that. Um, So that's the big sort of thing on the horizon. And then sort of other things I'm working on, I'm working on a series of Sherlock Holmes novels for Titan as well. Um, I can't say too much about those at the minute, but the first one is called The Case of the Patchwork Devil at the minute. Um, that might change, but that uh, the Patchwork Devil will probably be a part of the title. Now, is this um, the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock? Or is this no, this, is, this is Sherlock. Sherlock Holmes is in the consultant detective back in Victoria. Very good. Anna. 
Um, so yeah, so it's um, it might slip into other genres along the way. There are other characters that might be turning up that might be familiar from other works. Mm. Um, so it's um, what Titan are doing very well with um, with the the new Sherlock Holmes books from them is that they are mixing um, some of the best Victorian characters um, together. So you see, um, Guy Adams, friend of mine, wrote a, a brilliant um, one that was um, Karnaki, uh, uh, the ghost oh, finder. Yeah. And Sherlock Holmes together, which is obviously why has that never happened before? <laughs> um, so um, he got there first with that. I'm obviously insanely jealous of him, but I'm, I'm bringing someone else in um, from one of my personal favorite characters of all time. We'll be meeting the the great detective. So this um, kind so of smacks of the, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen almost. It does. Maybe it might be something <laughs> along those lines. You'll never know. But the, the, the importance is that we're trying to keep them very much pure Sherlock Holmes. So if there's a fantastical element um, to the story, Holmes has to be able to explain it away. Okay. Um, so the reader might go, well, no, we know. We know that's a ghost. Um, <laughs> and Watson might believe it's a ghost. But Holmes will find a way in his own mind of rationalizing it. Otherwise, he won't be able to cope with the world. Um, so that's an interesting challenge. But I'm, I'm, I mean, again, like like a lot of the characters I write for, Sherlock Holmes, you know, he's been there in my entire life. Sure. Um, and, you know, he's the beginning. He, he's, I, from my mind, he's the beginning of Doctor Who. They're very, very similar characters. Oh. So um, I can't wait to really, I've been planning it a long time. And over the next month, I'm going to actually dive in and write those terrifying words, chapter one. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I will be writing for the great detective himself. Outstanding. Outstanding. Plus, you have a YA novel that you're working on? I have, yeah. I mean, that's something that it's, it's been an ongoing project for a while. It's one of those things when you're working on something like that. Obviously, I'm, I'm a, a, a tie-in media writer. I, I, I do a lot of work for hire on these characters. So that sort of pays the bills. Um, that keeps my <laughs> children in shoes. Um <laughs> But uh, uh, bubbling away, I have this YA novel, which has, has been, you know, I, I pick it up. I do make sure I, I get a little bit written every month at least. Um, and it's developing over time, as, as these always do. But that's almost, that's my my little project that I've got going on, which I'm hoping will be finished very, very soon on the first draft, mainly because I bought myself the Lego Ghostbusters set. <laughs> and I, I'm not allowed to make it until I finish the first draft. And it sits there in my study in its box, looking at me, Taunting going, you. make me now. So I have to finish that book soon. Otherwise, I might explode. Oh, geek carrots right there dangling oh, in front yes. of you. <laughs> well, now, this isn't your first foray into, into YA fiction, though. As I recall, you released one earlier this year. Um, yeah, I've released a, a series of um, shorter tales for reluctant readers, which is part of a series called Teen Reads. Um, and they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're more sort of um, novelettes and novellas um, okay. for, for kids who won't necessarily pick up a book. Um, but actually, we're just trying to scare them silly so they can't stop. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a couple, a few of those, actually, five or six came out last year. So um, they're going down really well. And again, it's really encouraging to have kids writing to me who, who don't necessarily pick up books but now are because they've been reading the team reads oh, that's got a feel um, that's and it feels feel good it. they feel that they're but they've been written for them they haven't been written for anyone else and it's brilliant it's really yeah. good yeah well and and clearly the states are going to be graced by your presence for san diego comic-con yeah, oh uh, yes what about uh, uh any other are we going to see you at all uh, uh at other times or what about any uk convention experiences you have planned um there's a, a lovely wonderful convention called bristol con which is my local convention which is is possibly one of the friendliest conventions in the world um that's the only one i think i'm definitely going to at the minute um because i can't miss it it's it's like family 
at BristolCon. It's <laughs> it's superb. If you any of your friend, uh, any of you are coming over to the UK around October, come to the West Country. Come to BristolCon. It's just one day. It's beautiful. It's just a, a lovely, lovely, friendly, I think friendly both place. Emma Newman and Alastair Stewart have both uh, sung the praises of BristolCon uh, very eloquently. So. Everyone should know about it. Um, obviously, if everyone came, we'd have to give a bigger haul. But, um, <laughs> um, so the minute, I mean, San Diego's the big one, you know, it's it's obviously, I've got, I've got to get across the pond. Um, you know, it's, it's such a big, big deal uh, this year because comics are my first love um, before everything really, and so to be writing comics and writing a series as well, you know, I love dearly. Um, it's a big thing, so I had to come. There was no, there was no <laughs> question in my mind that I, you know, I, I'd avoid San Diego this year. So yeah, I, I'm going to be there, and who knows where else I'll be in the year. Um, keep an eye on my blog, and it'll be popping absolutely, up there. absolutely. And go ahead and plug that blog right now. Where can they find that on the web? Um, it's www.cavanscott.com. That's C-A-V-A-N because I'm. Fortunately, my name's a little bit odd. Um, so yeah, I, I, I blog there, and I, I'm Kevin Scott on Twitter. You can find me there as well. Um, I'm sure we'll put this on the on the show notes. Oh, but, um, believe it, all that and more. Yeah, come come and say hello, um, and you never know where I'll be popping up. Next. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Now, Terry Mixon, uh, co-host uh, of the Dead Robot Society and now the Roundtable Podcast. Uh, uh, I know you've been launching multiple salvos of awesomeness into the world uh please regale our listeners briefly on on what's what you've done and what's coming up for you let's see i recently published book two in the empire bone saga veil of shadows and i just finished writing book three command decisions and hopefully it'll be coming out within the next month and a half or so once i get it edited beta read and and get it all sorted out um the Audio version of Empire of Bones came out just recently, voiced by the talented Veronica Jaguer. Yes, the woman who can melt chocolate with her voice. Exactly so. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And and dear friends, if you've been listening to the Roundtable feed, you've heard those promos. You'll hear it again very shortly, uh, uh, but definitely check those out. Terry, what about uh, convention appearances? I know that you're, 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 you're still aspiring to that guest of the con, but I know that you, uh, you attend conventions. Where are you planning on being? Well, I had planned to go to Balticon this year, but that is not going to be happening. Uh, bummer. Uh, I'm afraid that my um, 16-year tenure at NASA is coming to an end. Mm. They're they're laying off people, and my date is is very soon in the future. Yeah, but we've heard that for months now. Well, no, uh, just in the last week, I've heard that while I may I'm scheduled to be laid off in about well from when we record this about two weeks from now, and if I don't get laid off at that point, there's only going to be one more extension and that date will be firm and final. Okay. So, and how long, what is your tenure at NASA? 16 years, 16 years, dear friends, that, that right there is really kind of badass when you get right down to it. Uh, and the fact that a 16 year veteran of NASA is writing sci-fi, that's an awesome endorsement to go out and check out those books. Let me throw out one more bit of, of clarification on that, yeah. uh, just to throw some some spice on the fire. What I do for NASA is I work in the Mission Control Center at NASA at Johnson Space Center as a direct support, computer supporter for the uh, flight control team. I build the displays that they look at. I, I make sure that their configurations, when they click a button, something happens that's appropriate. Holy that's crap. the sort of thing that I do. 
That's 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 core content I am right in there. Awe now. That's <laughs> yes. amazing. Definitely. You you have earned some serious geek cred uh, with that little bit of spice. Well done, sir. Uh, well, that'll all go into the liner notes, I promise you, friends. Uh, but right now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pause uh, uh, and and give some give some podcast airtime to to an awesome ebook. I can't imagine which one. Uh, uh, and and let friends our listeners know about the the fabulosity that is that is rumbling even now and could potentially be in their Kindles with the click of a button. Uh, and when we return, I would love to sit down with both of you and workshop a story. What do you say? You know, that sounds great. I like it too. I think I think yeah. we should do this thing, friends. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. In Empire of Bones, Commander Jared Mertz and Princess Kelsey scored a stunning victory over the Savage Pale Ones. Yet, they paid a terrible price for it, one that left their ship crippled and changed the princess forever. As Kelsey struggles to master the combat enhancements the Pale Ones forcibly implanted inside her, and Jared works feverishly to resurrect an ancient battlecruiser, they discover the Pale Ones aren't as defeated as they seemed. Jared and Kelsey race to unravel the secrets behind the ancient rebellion that destroyed galactic civilization and thwart unseen foes determined to take their new ship and their lives. If they fail, an entire planet dies. Veil of Shadows, Book Two in the Empire of Bones Saga, written by Terry Mixon. And we're back. You know, you, you had to know that that was going to come right. As a Dead Robots fan, Dave, you, you saw that coming. I did see that coming, and I was I was actually looking forward to it with giddy glee. <laughs> <laughs> we are back, dear friends, and now we get down to the meat and potatoes, the, the delicious goodness, the, 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 the literary gold of the Roundtable podcast, the workshop segment. And that does not happen without a bold, courageous, creative and courageous guest writer stepping up and putting their baby on the table for scrutiny. Uh, uh, and dear friends, Kevin Terry, let me introduce you to our guest writer. Uh, he lives in central New Hampshire with his wife of 20 years, no small accomplishment this June, uh, and their four children. Uh, his interests include writing and comic inking with a dip pen, no doubt. This guy is old school. Uh, he's getting ready to get his feet wet in the audiobook narration field with some chapters over at LibreVox. Check that out. Uh, he's had a 7 a.m. Sunday morning radio show in college, 7 a.m. Sunday morning. Holy crap. So all three people that were up at that time were tuning in to catch his show. He's contributed to his college and high school newspapers and was the technical director for theatrical productions of Working in High School and Damn Yankees in College. Dear friends, welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Peter O'Malley. Peter, dude, it's never easy. I know it's never easy. So I have nothing but respect and admiration for everybody who steps up into that chair. Thank you so much for bringing a story, man. Not a problem, Dave. So so what was the, the content of this 7 a.m. Sunday morning radio show? I just picked records out of the rack. Threw them on and played them. Were you were you rocking the classical or were you were you going old school hair metal? What was what was the what was the musical theme? More grunge metal. Ooh, grunge metal. Seven a.m. Sunday morning. Wake up. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Peter, 
you've got a story for us, and that's what we want. That's what we. That's what we're here for. We want to hear the the pitch. So here's the deal. We're going to give you five to eight minutes to to give us the the title, the format, the genre. Uh, uh, introduce us to the world. Introduce us to the characters. Give us some some basic tent poles of a story to work with, uh, and, and we'll dive in and start workshop and digging for some literary gold. I'm gonna get out of the way. Master O'Malley, the mic is all yours, sir. Okay, thanks, Dave. Story title is Ed and the Mechanist. It's a steampunk adventure story with some elements of comedy. I see it as a YA or NA graphic novel, maybe a series of them. The hook line is, when the Order of Alchemy steals the long-life portrait of the 537-year-old Master Mechanist, the master and his fashionista apprentice have to get it back before the master reverts to his true age. Think Dorian Gray in reverse. It's a story about making the most of what we have or are given. The story is set on an earth analog with advanced steam power and clockworks being the pinnacle of technology. Alchemy is also around, but isn't seen very much because once the practitioners discover the sorcerer's stone, they tend to vanish from public life because the stone extends your life, but doesn't stop your physical aging. The two main characters are Beatrice Victoria Edwina Osborne, who goes by the name of Ed. She is the teenage apprentice of the master mechanist. She is intelligent and inventive. She was the youngest person to be accepted into the Mechanist Apprenticeship Program. She also is the longest serving apprentice of record ever. She wants to be allowed to do the interesting stuff, make mechanisms, that sort of thing. And she always dresses in the latest popular fashion, both in and out of the workshop. Her strengths are she notices patterns and things that are out of place. She's afraid that if she doesn't succeed in this apprenticeship, she's going to be sent to the textile mill as just a laborer. Her weakness is she's very impulsive and outspoken. She desires to be successful. She has missed success due to her impulsiveness and her outspokenness. At the beginning of the story, she is rather shallow and easily swayed in her opinion by the aesthetic of things. By the end, she's learned that aesthetics aren't everything, and that you need to stop and listen before you act if you want to really get ahead. The second main character is Maximilian the Master Mechanist. He is 537 years old. An incident involving a sorcerer's stone and drunken chicanery with a portrait painter caused the creation of the portrait, which allows him to look like he's a 20-something steampunk gearhead. He's cynical, brilliant, and the best mechanist in the world. His strength is he's very inventive and he plans everything out thoroughly so that he very rarely fails. He's afraid of looking old. His weakness is that he sometimes spends so much time planning things out that he doesn't even start because he can't find the end. He desires to regain control of the order of alchemy to put it back on the path of promoting the dissemination of alchemical knowledge that he envisioned for it when he created it about 150 years ago. At the start, he is self-assured, narcissistic, and arrogant. He only took an apprentice because his guild membership requires it, and they forced him. At the end, he has regained control of the order and is teaching from his wheelchair. He now appreciates the youth that he had for so long, 
while his personality traits are still there, they are now leavened with understanding and humility. The primary antagonist is the head of the Order of Alchemy, specifically Pandora May Beauregard Weathersfield, the portrait painter who painted his picture and used to be his girlfriend. Her strengths are she's a brilliant designer and painter. She fears that people will not know who she is. She's very vain and has to make sure that everybody knows what she did or what she made. She desires to be able to reproduce a painting like the one that they accidentally created for Max so that she can look as young as him again and be together again. She left him when their age difference made it look like she was his mother. She couldn't bear the thought of being what people would think. She is spiteful and bitter. In the end, she duplicates the process, but it just maintains her at her current appearance instead of making her look younger. The setup. In the beginning, Max and Ed are in the workshop working on their various projects. A large bus is brought in that was damaged by its operator. In the process, Ed manages to dump a barrel of lamp oil into the forge and the resulting jet of flame brings the police and fire to investigate what's going on. Max's portrait goes missing during this time. Uh, second disaster, they see what they think is the portrait being loaded onto an airship that heads out to sea. The airship goes down five miles out. When they finally recover the portrait, Max discovers it's a copy. And Ed searches for crew, but only finds the clockwork autopilot. And third disaster, they track down the maker of the autopilot, which is Pandora, because she had to put her emblem on it, so they were able to disassemble it and find out it was her. They break into the workshop. They get caught because Max took so long planning that he has aged 45 years. The resolution, Ed figures out the pattern of the geared lock after two days. Max has now aged 180 years and can't move about on his own. Ed finds the portrait, and then it goes off the rails. <laughs> All right. Okay. There's, 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 there's good food here. There's things to work with. I like, I'm liking this. But before we dive into this, so what, what, what's your biggest concern about this story? What are you hoping to get out of this, this next 40, 45 minutes of conversation or so? I tend to be very scatterbrained and spiderweb things out. I need to be able to zoom this in a little bit more because it's still really fuzzy. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think I think we've gathered uh, uh, an esteemed panel of focusers uh, uh, and refiners. So so I think if nothing else, we'll 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 definitely be able to send you out of here uh, with multiple paths of option. Uh, but before we do, before we dive into this, we need to cover our ass. So, uh, Master Mixon, would you be so kind as to deliver the patented Roundtable Podcast disclaimer, sir? Certainly, sir. Yeah, very good, sir. Peter O'Malley, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Kevin might be complete bullshit. This is your story. You decide what to use and what to cast aside. Is that okay? 
absolutely fine and i'm not married to any of it so (laughs) awesome well with now that we're off the hook uh let's dive (laughs) into this all right uh our custom here at the round table is to take a quick once around the table just to ask some questions of clarification point out what's working what may not be working and maybe sort of define the field for the rest of the discussion uh traditionally we will start with our esteemed guest host so kevin scott start us off what 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 are you liking about this what questions do you have for for peter about the story well first of all peter well done for even doing something else to come and give <laughs> one of your babies out there and say right pull it to bits that's an amazing thing um i don't think i could necessarily do it live on air um so well done that's amazing um i've got two questions for points of clarification and one general observation i think um the first one is the relationship between pandora and max um you say that pandora her aim in this um what she wants to do is have a, a ability to um paint the picture so she could become young again but if she painted the picture originally and max is 537 years old that means she must be around the same age yes so how is she still alive she's an alchemist too okay so she's already got this i was just trying to get you know so she can all she can already extend her life but actually it's not so much to extend and she wants to make herself young again is that right yes she wants to look pretty okay so so she she has a a, a prolonged life but she, so that's right that that was just getting that clear in my head um the second question do people know he's that old um you know is he unusual in the fact he's over five hundred years old has he kept the secret how sort of public a figure he is is he I hadn't determined that. Okay. Okay. Could be fun to play either side of that. Uh, either side of that story. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's good. It was just sort of going trying to, you know, as we're trying to sort of work it through, the fact he must be quite unusual in the fact that he's still around. Um, so yeah, trying to play it through. My observation, um, and again, throw this out, throw it back at my face or whatever, <laughs> um, is you mentioned Dorian Gray. Um, and this is obviously very influenced by Dorian Gray. So uh, I suppose another question I would ask is, how attached to you, uh, how attached are you to the actual portrait element of it, which is pretty central to your story, I know. Um, the reason I ask is that it, it, it's so familiar with Dorian Gray um, that I think perhaps you said you a lot of it's still fuzzy for you. And I think perhaps it could be that it, you've not found your own twist on that Dorian Gray theme because it is a man who has a portrait, um, and there could be ways we could find to take that as a basis, but turn it and flip it onto its head and make it your own. The thing that came out to me as you were speaking, this is obviously a steampunk adventure, Victoriana is to the fore. Um, he, he works with machines, he works with inventions. Um, you know, what about it instead of being a portrait, it's a plate photograph. It's something Ooh. that's very tied in to chemicals, um, and alchemy um, and capturing the spirit and holding it in stasis. Yeah. And yeah, snatching that moment of life um, that's always there. And obviously, at the Victorian times, this is when photography was really starting to come um, into its own. And it was all chemical, it was alchemy. I mean, I've, I've seen someone produce a proper Victorian plate photograph on you know on metal and it's phenomenal it, it's spooky it's scary it's like you know it's this thing comes out of it and it just struck me that you know this could be a way that you can make this your own because dorian gray is actually quite 
relevant at the minute and quite in quite a lot of things as well. There's been Penny Dreadful. Um, mm -hmm. when Dorian Gray is one of the major characters. I know this is something over here, but in the UK I wrote for a series called The Confessions of Dorian Gray, which is Dorian Gray sort of living on to now. So it's, it's what happens if he hasn't died. He's now here. There was the film a few years back. There are things like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So my worry would be for Dorian, you to have a story that's so similar to Dorian that actually people might go, oh, that's just Dorian Gray. So if you could find a way of making it your own take on Dorian, that might bring it alive to a bit more and you can get through some of that fuzzy feeling. Does that make any sense or do you want to shoot me now? <laughs> Actually, I didn't even think of photography. Powdered sorcerer's stone into the chemicals? Uh, hell yeah. <laughs> well, and you said it was it was a drunken, debauched moment that, that created this this unexpected event. Maybe somebody spilled some some alchemical liquor and, and that's the secret ingredient that, that Pandora hasn't been able to uh, tease out so so now you've got this little lovely little side story where you've got to go find the guy that made that whiskey that ended up in the in the distilling plate or, or bath or whatever they call it so it made sense to me of why she'd be trying to get the portrait because if she try, she wants the portrait or the picture in this case the plate because it still has the chemicals on it right and right. if she can find the chemicals she can reverse engineer it so she could create that moment again in a lab when it happens and everything works right. And I don't know, it just, again, it, and it ties into steampunk and it ties into this world you're creating. Um, and it's, like so it, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not a, um, an analog of something that already exists. It's something that is there. There's the familiarity of it and you go, oh yeah, I get where he's coming from this, but he, you've given it a twist and you've made it your own. I like that. I like that. I think that'll work. I've got, that, actually got another twist to throw in there, not to take nothing away from from what Kevin has said, because I really like that idea. But I thought of coming at it from a different angle, from the stone itself, that instead of a painting, it could be an etching on the stone. You, you've seen mm -hmm. these, these bits of jewelry you can wear that someone has a little painting on a small oval of stone that they wear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something where some other artist or Someone had spilled something on the stones, smooth something used it to smooth it out and yeah. made an etching of Ed. But this etching over time starts deteriorating, fading. It has to be touched up. If he does if it isn't touched up, he begins aging. Well, and that could be a very cool, well, cool. Uh, uh, plot element. Uh, you know, if 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 we accelerate the story forward and have them catch up with Pandora early in the story and have it be a quest to find out how this thing happened together, then you've got this wonderful character conflict strife mm. between Max and Pandora with Ed caught in the middle and dealing with her own issues as you go from interesting story location where this guy had the sorcerer's stone for a while and then this guy did and then this guy did and, and ultimately culminating in this ultimate resolution that that, that solves the problem that's a, that's that's intriguing i like that terry what other what other thoughts did you have master mixon uh, uh initial questions and uh observations yeah um, uh first of all the he's he's been changed some 537 years but the order of alchemy is only 75 years old that seems a little a little odd that in 500 years some type of of order wouldn't have developed because these sort of people tend to to be developing themselves into organizations. It seems like there should be more or at least an older organization of some kind. What are you thinking? Um, I'm, I'm not actually thinking anything at all. Maybe a a perhaps there was 
an original Order of Alchemy. Perhaps they mm. were destroyed, disbanded, and he reformed them later. Nice. Uh, perhaps yeah. there's a rival organization. I'm not really sure. It's still very foggy in my head. I like that. I like that because then you have a, a deep history mystery that you can explore as well. And they were the owners of the stone. Uh, yeah, the there you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, now perhaps perhaps they are the ones that were involved with the original process, whichever way it ends up going. And so someone that's still connected to this shadowy organization that's outlawed because of horrific practices that they they performed has to be found and convinced to to give up this information as part of an integral part of of solving the mystery right or or, or uncovers their master plan at, in just the nick of time to to reassert their true power and and our collective heroes uh need to thwart them and secure the stone in the process or something along those lines yeah it is a, it is a grander scheme than just pandora trying to to gain her own life because while that's interesting it seems fairly small scale it seems like the the scale of the story needs to somehow widen a bit in my mind mm-hmm. what other what other uh, uh points or questions did you have one at the beginning i'm, I'm getting into to story elements now that we're talking about ed drops the oil into the uh, furnace and sets off the set of of actions that distracts everyone so that whatever the the end painting or carving is stolen that seems very coincidental to me mm. It seems like somehow some someone the people that are performing the theft have to be maybe Ed thinks she's involved that she dropped it in there, but in reality it needs to be the actions of someone else because you can't really rely on coincidence. I was thinking that exactly the same way. Exactly the, the, the something's been brought into the workshop, and also where is this portrait photo stone? Because if it's that vital for Max to keep it safe. It would have to, you know, is it in a, is it locked up? If not, is it hanging on the wall? If not, he's not really thinking it through. Because if, you know, in the middle of the, all this sort of fire and that, someone can just nick it. Um, you know, yeah. that's the, the question I kept asking. If he Actually, another question that comes from that is, what is his relationship to it? Is it the further away it is he ages? Because at the minute, I don't know from what you've said how he's aging. Is it because he needs it near him? Or is it, be, is it, is it because it's been destroyed? I mean, again thinking about you know dorian gray he needed the portrait to be whole for for the magic to work so so with max and his whatever it is we end up with um what is a relationship how how dangerous is it to be away from it or how sounds does it like work? proximity is 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 vital yeah that seems to be doesn't yeah it? peter my thought was he needed to look at it for a period of time every day to maintain uh, his right. age so if he does you know he could actually he could have it locked up and then when he needs With morning to- coffee, you crack it open. I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's nice. It's the start of the day. And actually, when um, Ed first comes into it, she thinks, you know, who is this guy? Every morning, <laughs> he has a cup of tea, obviously. Tea, right, <laughs> a cup, sorry. A cup not of coffee. tea. Um, well, we, we, you know, we had, we had coffee in Victorian times as well. But, you know, he had a nice cup of tea. And he's, he's sitting there in his macaroons and he's watching himself, you know, and she goes, what is he on? You know, it's like, I thought you know, I thought I was into looking at myself. He is ridiculous. Um, and then you find out, and after you've had all this chaos and whatever's going on with the bus and the explosions, he suddenly goes, "Oh God!" and runs to where his portrait should be, or his photo, or his whatever. Right. And oh, it's gone. 
And that's your big sort of dun 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 moment, you know, when he suddenly realized. And incident. she's like going, and she's going, what the hell are you talking about? You know, why do you care about that picture of yourself? <laughs> and, you know, at that point, she noticed that he's a little bit grayer than he should be, or whatever, you know, it, it's, it, it's starting to happen immediately. And so I think that would be a good way of, of bringing that all in. Because again, if he's so meticulous in his plans that he takes ages to do anything, he'd know how to keep that portrait safe because sure. he knows what that means to him. Well, and it could be, you know, it could be a, a, a master thief goes in and disables, you know, the 12 tap, traps of death that, that, that Maximilian, you know, has, has ensconced his portrait in. I was going to say that raises the question, how did he find out that not looking at it for some mm. period of time caused him these problems? And if he looks 20 years old, how did he reverse it to go back to that age? Or was he much younger even than that when this portrait was made? You could argue that that you know, if he doesn't look at it, he feels weaker. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a noticeable outward appearance of age. Uh, uh, and we can probably advance him a little farther than twenty. We could put him up to thirty, thirty-five. I would think without really hurting the the storyline at all. What do you? I think, was just Peter? throwing that out because yeah. obviously there has if it, if it reacts so quickly when it's gone to someone then he would have had to find that out. So there has to have already been some residual effect. Sure. There, there could have been a backstory where, you know, after that drunken debauchery that created the portrait, you know, he didn't have it. And, and he started getting sick. And his, his lady love Pandora, you know, at his hospital bedside as the doctors try in vain to figure out what's wrong with this guy, she, she brought the portrait by. And, and instantly he felt a lot better. Uh, uh, and, and the aging process stopped. So, you know, that's I, I think those those elements could be interesting, but I'm not sure they're necessarily germane to the actual story that we're driving forward. It so, feels. So. I, I think we we do need to establish. I think why uh, you know his relationship with the painting and how it affects him because I think you know yes. that's a, you've obviously got the situation where he's taken so long to plan. He's suddenly aged forty five years. Um, you know how long has that taken? You need to work out the mechanics of yeah otherwise suddenly he'll be aged in 45 minutes one minutes and then you'll go hang on it's been a day and he hasn't aged at all right so it's, it's working out those because that's you know you know that's that's when the heightened reality of the situation will feel true when you you know you, you know it's like rules of magic you, you there needs to be something there otherwise it doesn't really make sense and it establishes a ticking clock and, and a sense of urgency i mean so, this is yeah. you know the ultimate ticking clock he will you know, crumble away to dust um, <laughs> if he doesn't get this back. So yeah. I actually did yeah, work yeah. out how it works. Oh, go on then. Tell me, I'm intrigued. <laughs> the first day he ages a day, then it doubles oh. every day. Oh, damn. Oh, okay. So <laughs> there's a bit of a curve there, isn't there? Then okay, one, I like that. once he has it back, he regresses a day, but then it's linear on the way back. So it's Instead of it being one, two, four, eight, it's one, two, three, four. So it takes him much longer to revert than it does to age. Okay. But you eventually revert back to your 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 anchor point then. Let me so throw the out one caveat you should probably consider with that because I did some math as an exercise <laughs> one time. If you take a penny and you double it every day for a month, by the end of that month, you have over a million dollars. So you've got to watch that doubling because it will quickly age someone to the point they will die right i mean very quickly more right. than you would think well and he ends the he ends the story in a wheelchair uh, a decrepit old man uh so 15 so, yeah. days 15 days there we go that's how long the story takes 
All right. Let me let me uh, throw out just a couple of observations that that, that jumped out at me uh, uh, before we move forward. W- one thing that really struck me, uh, first of all, just in the conversation that we've had so far, I find it interesting that that no one's really talking about Ed, uh, and and that makes me think, Peter, uh, either a uh, uh, you've created uh, secondary characters that are more interesting than your protagonist, uh, or we need to uh, keep in mind that as a, as a YA story, Ed is going to need to be center stage, uh, and we need to keep her as uh, a catalyst, give her good agency, uh, and, and keep her in the forefront. One thing about her that I really love, uh, and it's just this little mention that you mentioned that she's the youngest apprentice in the, Alch- or in the, in the Steam Guild. She's also the longest running apprentice in the Steam Guild. And that little detail right there really captures my imagination. Uh, uh, a child with, with great promise who... <laughs> who is just such a pain in the ass that, that she literally cannot break through to the just the next level, not even mastery, just the next level of her process. That speaks a lot about the type of person she is, uh, and, and that really kind of stuck in my mind. I also really like the idea of your antagonist, Pandora, uh, uh, being an ex-girlfriend, ha- being having a love interest with Max, uh, I-, I think that generates some lovely friction and and some wonderful emo- lots of feels, lots of good emotion uh, uh, that can that can spark with Max and Pandora. And you know, as we discuss, it might be that this ends up being Max and Pandora's story. I don't know. We're we're still working through that. But those two things really really caught my attention. Um, Something you said there. Um, could there be different flavors of alchemy in this world? Is Ed perhaps um, of the elder blood of these these other shadowy alchemists, and that's why she's developing so slowly and with so much difficulty with the training that she's going through? That could make her the key to whatever final fix you have to have because it requires her. Yeah. And and maybe maybe even you know maybe some of the higher ups in the order of steam know that she's got this legacy this this hidden mm. background that traces back to the dark alchemists of you know a century ago or not a century ago because Max would still be around you know uh, seven hundred years ago or whatever. And so. the interesting thing I I found about it is obviously you've got this thing that she always dresses in the latest popular fashion you know mm-hmm. that kind of thing, but she's obviously come from quite a poor background because she's worried that if she doesn't do this right she's going to be sent to as a laborer to the textile mill so there you know there there's there's some agency for her that she wants to be you know the the latest uh, in the latest gear and she wants to be working on the best stuff but she obviously comes from quite a poor background that you know so she's aspiring to all these things and there's a fear in there that she's not going to achieve that which could be linked in dave to that thing that she you know she's that's why she's, you know, she never quite achieves it because she's always worrying about it. She's right. chasing after the wrong things. Is, is, have I read that right, Peter? Is that the, what you were thinking of? It works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thumbs up from the guest writer. <laughs> now, I also noticed that she doesn't have any parents. Uh, uh, are we playing the orphan card here, Peter? No. Okay. So she does have a mother and a father. Yes. Her mother was a fashion model. Um, think J.C. Penny. Um, undergarment model and her father was a salesman who tinkered on steam stuff in the house ah okay okay but have they fallen on hard times or are they why would they send her to a textile mill she needs a job okay so yeah they probably have failed hard times she failed at everything else right 
Well, and and I can see, you know, if you know, if her parents are very uh, old school and not embracing of the new tech and the new culture and the new way, then you know, her her father's sales techniques would drop off. Her mother is probably aging, so she can't be an underwear model for Sears and Roebuck or or whoever the catalog company is of the time. Uh, uh, so so yeah, she's she's kind of it's her job to take care of the family now. Uh, and, and, you know, so you've got that responsibility to, you know, your parents are counting on you, but you've also got that wonderful YA theme of not being able to be everything you can be. And I think that right there is a, is a powerful, powerful, uh, theme to work in terms of being denied the opportunity to be, to achieve your full potential and knowing what that potential is and not getting those opportunities. I think that, I think that's a strong YA theme and very relevant. And Peter, what's her relationship with Max? Does he want her there? Does he um, like her even, you know, how, how is their relationship? Cause obviously if he's these quite, this quite meticulous man who likes everything in his own way and has these secrets that you can't um, reveal to anyone, suddenly he's got this young girl who's, a bit of a disaster in the in the workshop, um, and his mouth is really mouthy <laughs> with a bad um, reputation, with a bad rep. Um, yeah, how, how is their relationship? How does that play out? Confrontational is the only word that really comes to mind. I hadn't thought through the entire relationship. Okay, well, we can work with that. We can we can explore that because yeah. that's the way of bringing her into the you know you know as as was mentioned because she does seem out of it. You know, it's by accident that she causes this to this chain of events to happen. But then after that, she really seems to vanish. Um, and I know this is only very, you know, it's a beginning notes for you and, and things like that, but it's it, to really nail their relationship between each other. Because also she has to go with him. She has to feel that she has the, you know, why is she going with him to sort of save the day and that kind of thing. So we What's have her investment in yeah, that exactly. relationship? Well, and maybe this is her last time. You know, maybe maybe yeah. you're only allowed uh, uh, not not to riff on the doctor too much, but you only get twelve apprenticeships. Mm. Uh, and and if you cannot advance to journeyman after your twelfth apprenticeship, you're kicked out. So this is the last one. Mm. And that's and that you know that <laughs> that's going to motivate her big time to make this work in some way, shape, or form. Puts the clock. And they could up, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and the, the the fact that the you know this the confrontation could be that they're actually quite similar because she is quite obviously she wants she has airs of graces. She wants to be something that she, perhaps she isn't yet. Mm -hmm. She wants to wear finer clothes that she can afford. Um, and then you've got a man who is still twenty after you know, five hundred years old who chucked his girlfriend because she was looking old. Because basically that's the story, right? Um, and, you know, and he's desperate to stay young. And as soon as he starts getting older, he panics. So actually, they're quite similar, you know. Yeah, um, very much so. And that could be why they they. they you know, it's it's a reflection of Max. That he's looking and going, "Oh God, that's me, isn't it?" Um, you know. Yeah. And then when he comes face to face with the uh, the aged Pandora, you know, and he has to come up to that, you know, she was like, you know, she says to him, "You turned your back on me because I wasn't." the, the fresh-faced young girl you fell in love with because I had crows 
feet because I had wrinkles, because I had gray hair, because I looked like your mum. Um, you know, <laughs> that's that's quite a moment. No, what's, no wonder she's bitter. If they were in love, you know, he it's completely because he sort of said, well, hey, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, still good. And I like <laughs> that because it really gives your antagonist, or at least the initial antagonist, you know, a justification for, for being b- being the person that she is. You know, it's 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 your POV care, your protagonist, one of your protagonists. They did that. They made that. I always get the thing because, you know, you sort of said one of her uh, her desires is to make herself young and be with Max. Actually, could it be that she wants to make herself look young while he's old? because then she is it's the it's the girlfriend getting dressed up to to walk in front of you know or the guy getting dressed up to walk in front of the girl who dumped him or whichever way you want to work it you know but is she it's saying look at me i'm hot now and you're a decrepit old man who can't get out of his chair and probably smells of wee you know it's um (laughs) there's that you could really play with that because actually having her going i want to be young because i want to be with you it just seems a bit like really is that all she wants um, because suddenly her motivation isn't so bitter. It's actually quite tragic. And if that's the way you want to play it, that's brilliant. Go for it. But no, if she's out point. there to make a point. Yeah. Sounds kind of weak when you fun. put it that way. Well, yeah, it, it sounds very, you know, we're, we're looking for strong female protagonists and strong female antagonists in our stories contemporarily. So, so yeah, I like that. That's because, excellent- you know, in all of this, Max actually doesn't, isn't coming out that well because he's the <laughs> one who's walked away from her. Yeah. Um, and he's the one who's had this life and the person he loved, she, he just let her get old. And well, and maybe he regrets away. that, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe he, he beats himself up over that. Cause he realizes, you know, she was the love of his life and he was vain and small minded. And so he retreats. Uh, this is his defense mechanism. You know, I, I can't control my love life, but I can control machines. Uh, and by God, I will control all the machines. Yeah. And so. you know, and it was 500 years ago. So, (laughs) you know, how much have we changed in our lives over decades? This man has lived hundreds of years. And I think sometimes when you're dealing with characters who have extended lifespans, um, that you, you forget how much they'd forget and how much the past would become blurred to them. They wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't be just like stepping out the door and then 500 years later you meet someone and you carry on. They would have changed so much over that time. And, and I think when you're dealing with characters with, with, with extremely long time, you know, and I, I write Doctor Who. He, he's a, <laughs> he, the guy's 2,000 years old and had, had 13 bodies. You know, um, he, it's change is part of it. So how has he changed? You know, and I think you're right. Is he got regrets? Has he forgotten the regrets? Has he even, can you remember why this all started? You know, um, it's to think about those, and that's really interesting stuff to think about someone who's lived that long yeah. and what it would be to live that long and to have all those memories and to have all those people that have come in, in, your, in, your, in out of your life. Has he, has he become a hermit? It's one of the reasons I asked, how do people know about him? You know, is he part of society or has he locked himself away with his picture yeah. and his machines? Well, and we were and talking about, known. you know, character backstory and character backgrounds. And Peter, I think it's definitely a good idea to, 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 to dig into Max's background, figure out as Kevin, you say what he was like when, 500 years ago and and how has he changed and how has he dealt with those those transformations over time and and the change of the world around him because he yeah. looks like a 20 year old attractive man does he go out into society because does, does he recognize society do you know he, he when he meets the young ladies of of or the young men depending mm-hmm. how you want to play it you know of of the world he lives in does he recognize them can he identify them because he's an old man inside a very young body mm-hmm. um, from a time 
you know it's gonna yeah exactly it's gonna it's gonna have an effect on his relationships and there's one thrown into his workshop with him you know here's someone (laughs) who's you know who is wearing the latest fashions which for him aren't the latest fashions even though he looks like he should be wearing them he's from five centuries before Um, i can see where her presence would cause if, if he's withdrawn would be the personification of of the quandary that he's in being Ooh. appearing to be a young man but being so withdrawn from the world and i won't say temptation but she's she represents the things that he feels like perhaps he cannot have cannot get yeah. anymore yeah. because of, of how he is you know she 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 is the embodiment of of everything that has passed in the last 500 years she's she's like a a a, a goad a, a taunt of of I'm young, I'm vital, I'm exciting and and exploring new things. You're old. What if she is a descendant of Pandora? What if she looks like Pandora did oh, at that now age? You're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> yes, and now she's a double goad, not only for for time and age, but also for that one greatest mistake that that has plagued him for centuries. Yeah, perhaps he hasn't thought about for a while. Yeah, he might exactly. Have, he, might, he hasn't had to face the thought of Pandora because he stares at himself every day. Which, which um, actually, I wonder if that opening scene then could be the introduction of Ed to Max. Because mm. then we could do a little nice little bit of world building with you know this is what the Al- this is what the Steam Guild does. This is where it is. You know, she's she's uptight, and then she we see that first meeting and he just, his eyes turn to flint, his mouth turns down and he says, no, no, no way. I'm not going to have this girl as my apprentice. And, and just, but we don't know the, why yet. Say what? You know, that's, we don't know why. Yet. Yeah, exactly. The, it raises the question that then the reader wants to know the answer to. Yeah. And then, you know, you have a point later on that it might not be this on the nose, but she sort of has to confront him and say, what is it about me that you don't like? And he pulls out a photo of what Pandora looked like 500 years before. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, for her, it's for her. She's looking into a mirror. Sure. And, and, and something to do with the, the connection with her, uh, the way to draw Ed into being an integral part of the story, other than perhaps her, her background is what if there's something, if Pandora is the one that steals the uh, the the portrait or the painting. If something is left behind there that resonates with with Ed, that he can't utilize, that somehow makes her critical to the story. That's how you draw her into the plot and make her integral to it. Is by having her be the key rather than him. Okay. Yeah. Well, and and you know if 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 you do have Pandora and you know and maybe you know the ten deadly traps of Max. Uh, he came up with those when he was twenty, and Pen- and Pandora knows them intimately, and 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 Max is such a traditionalist that he hasn't changed them, so Pandora can trip lightly through these things. Uh, all she needed was the distraction and and the impetus, you know, get get work herself up enough. There needs to be some sort of impetus to make. I was going to say, do this she, now. Yeah, why hasn't she done? Why didn't she do it five hundred years ago? Yeah. Perhaps she's starting to get to the point to where if she doesn't act, she's going to be the one in the wheelchair. She, her, she's 500 years old. Um, it's hard to imagine she's not suffering some type of, of frailties. And I've, I've been thinking about how his portrait could be used with, with how it relates to her. If she is working on her own, if, if she can create a link between the two as he's aging 
she is growing younger at the same rate. So there's a, a balance taking place there as he's changing. So is she. So like a Benjamin Button kind of thing. Only sort of like that. Yeah. Across two people. Yeah. That could be kind of cool. That in that in fact that could be you know the the lifeline you know a, a crisis point about halfway two thirds of the way through the story uh, uh, or maybe even the climax I don't know but but Pandora's dying uh, uh, she she's you know, for whatever reason and the only way that she can be saved is if Max gives up his immortality and binds his 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 heart his soul to this woman who he deeply loves anyway uh uh and and binds their essence so that they can share you know at least at least have another you know century or so together as they pass each other in the temporal continuum uh of life and living as far as an impetus goes i'm wondering if you know maybe you know if we if we do have the dark sinister order of alchemy in the past and if they do have a dark agenda for rising up again and commanding this this world uh maybe maybe pandora has discovered this and and realizes that without the 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 portrait somehow i'm floundering at that point uh, uh but somehow she needs to eat she needs to either get max back into the order uh, uh or she needs the portrait for something but somehow max or the portrait is is vital to defending against this she doesn't know quite what it is yet but this shadow that's looming on the horizon what do you think about that yeah crickets yeah yeah it's not it's not really hitting me dave i'm sorry no roger that roger that well, and and but but we have we have established there needs to be some impetus to to make Pandora take action now, as opposed yeah. to any time during the last five hundred years when she was pissed and angry about her treatment uh, at the hand. You know, there's a span of time when they weren't working together and they just contended. Something has happened that has awakened her her ire, her frustration, her her desire. Maybe not necessarily for revenge, although there is, as you pointed out, Kevin, there is that that desire to want to be desired by the person that scorned you so you can say no you can't have this i'm looking hot it's not yours i I'm have not. an idea what, what do you got Peter? Uh, max has taken his new apprentice out to get her the proper gear and oh. pandora happens to be shopping at the same time oh man there you go and sees the young, the young chippy on uh, on Max's so not arm but side at least, who looks just like she did. Hmm. Perhaps not. Just happens to be you know she's been watching him for a long time. Right, that works. Because yeah. again, it's a you know it's a coincidence. The one thing I I was thinking as we were talking, um, who says the order of alchemy has to be evil and shadowy? Actually, they could be the force of good, and she, they've been no, stopping no. her. Yeah, exactly. But we, I think, again, it's one of those tropes that we sort of fall into, you know, right, an order. Right. It's an, you know, it's, the, it's therefore they must be. Right. Yeah, they must be evil. Well, actually, they could be the balance in all of this. And she's been, you know, there could be a reason why she, you know, perhaps they've even had her locked away, you know, or they've kept her, they've kept her away from everything because they actually know that something could go wrong here. I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. But it's just a thought that actually, you know, the, the order could actually be quite a, a purposeful place yeah. um, and again it could be you know and they've kept the peace for 500 years if they're keeping themselves secret then they would have to have something very important that they're guarding something mm. that can't be relieved revealed to the general public that requires them to stay in the shadows yeah and i'm not quite sure what that is but there would have to be something the recipe yeah. recipe for immortality for the sorcerer's stone it. yeah if everyone have it it'll be chaos 
Sure. And and it, it could be, you know, we, we don't need a shadowy order. We could ha- we could have some some lord uh, uh, who, you know, has been deposed from the order who hungers and lusts for for uh, uh, that 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 recipe. Maybe he's the mastermind. Maybe he goaded uh, 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 Pandora to move because she know he knows that Max is the only one who's been able to actually take this recipe outside, uh, uh, and everybody's dancing to his uh, uh, machinations. I know uh, where you're coming from. The, the only worry with that is that suddenly Pandora be- stops becoming the driving force. Right, uh, right. And it, I quite like that. You know, Peter, you said they've got the recipe, and perhaps they know, as I said, that they sh- this recipe shouldn't be out there. So their secret they're keeping is for the good of everyone. You know, and this idea that you said earlier on, I think that alchemy is there, and, you know, there's forms of magic in there, but it's it's gradually becoming, you know, less and less. Perhaps that could be why the order, what the order is there, to make sure that, you know, these things, not because they want to keep the secret for themselves, it's because they actually know what a terrible thing this would be, because people would start fighting over it, people would start, you know, it's, it would know, be something Nations everyone would, would go to war over that. Yeah, sure. you know, a, a, na- a nation that can have immortality compared to a nation that can't, you know, it's, um, so, you know, again, you, you could play with the expectations, you could think, oh, it's the evil, dark, shadowy order, um, but actually, no, they, they've been doing this for a very, very good reason, I don't know what that, you know, as I say, that yeah. could be one of the reasons, yeah. and Pandora has been, you know, kept in check, or, or she finds out, that actually, no, this is something that's going on, and so, again, it's playing with those expectations, because I'm trying to think of how you could push this into your own world again, because again, you've, as we said, with the Dorian Gray thing, in steampunk orders, are very much a part of the nature of the beast because it's very Victoriana, you know. Right, and it's, right. And, Secret you know, handshakes, all of that. Yeah, you know, and the Masons and going back to Jack the Ripper and all those. Or you know, as I said, I, I'm I'm working on Sherlock Holmes at the minute, so I've been reading it around. <laughs> and you know, Holmes is full of all these kind of like secret organizations because it's very Victorian and it's very you know, and we love it. Um, but you could really play with the expectations there. Yeah, um, you know, the yeah, it exactly. Could. Yeah. If Ed has some connection to this, if if she has some bit of innate talent, perhaps the the same sort of thing that that created the stone to begin with, that 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 manipulated it, then that might mean that Pandora does as well. And so perhaps the order okay. has been watching. Maybe Pandora has been a prisoner. Maybe not. But the order might have been watching Ed just because yeah. of her genetic relationship. Sure. Sure. Or potential, per se. Well, and, and that kind of smacks of the chosen one trope, but but that, that concept could definitely be, you know, maybe maybe they learned something uh, uh, from their ancestral, you know, or uh, archives or whatever. But some, yeah, I like that. Something that, that distinguishes them as a potential threat that, that keeps them, keeps the uh, order holding them at, at arm's length. What Has about pan- this? If, if Pandora is was involved in the creation of whatever painting or, or or other piece of work it is, perhaps only one of her blood, herself, or one of her descendants are the ones capable of manipulating that already created item sure, because of their alchemy, connection to yeah, it. Yeah, alchemy works that way. It's, it's magic stuff. And that ties in why Ed would be important oh, to reversing yeah. it because she's one of the only two people there, or perhaps her mother, who may not have any talent at all that could do such. Right. And that, that makes me think, what if Pandora is the reason that Ed is there? What if Pandora has mm. been working behind the 
scenes or this time and Pandora, Ed's family, which was actually quite prosperous and doing quite well for itself, and was a, he was a fashion model, he was a salesman, you know, he, he could work machines, and things start going wrong with them. That you get to the point where Ed has to become a, you know, has to work in this way, otherwise she's going to the poorhouse, basically. You know, could it be that actually Pandora's been behind all of this nice. and she's been manipulating the, her her bloodline, generations, bringing them together. Mm. Even the failed uh, apprenticeships could be Pandora's Exactly. Doing. So yeah. she could have manipulated all of those to fail, shepherding Ed towards this one place that she wanted her to be. I, and that brings Dave right back to Dave's comment about the coincidence of Ed um, dropping something and there being a massive fireball. You know, if there's a reason why Ed keeps mucking up because she is supposed to be good. We we know she's supposed to be really, you know, quite adapt at these kind of things but she keeps mucking up and she can't see herself why things keep going wrong and why experiments go wrong why machines blow up and why she keeps getting thrown out or she has bad relationships or all these kind of things and it could be that all these situations are being thrown in front of her um by this other other hand the one caution i would have with that mm-hmm. is that it, it it pulls some of the responsibility for ed's life out of her hands yeah, totally. I, but then I she like, gets to take it back. Right. I, I, I like the idea, you know, maybe I can definitely, I like the idea of, of Pandora, you know, working things and, and maybe like the first three or four apprentices, apprenticeships were sabotaged, but then, to, and, 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 but then allowing Ed's character, Ed's frustration and, and let that be a, a formative element. And, and, from that point forward, she kind of sabotaged her own. You know, I'm sure Pandora yeah, yeah, yeah. was watching, but Ed, because that way Ed has something she has to overcome that she yeah. can control, and it's a, it's a character issue rather than a plot issue. Yeah. I, I, I think one thing I, in all this conversation I keep coming back to is the 500 years. It seems an awfully long time. And I'm wondering if one of the reasons we're tripping over some of this stuff is that is it because he's too old and it's been going on too long? That could be. You know, it could be. He could pull that. that back. I don't think making him 200 or 300 years no, old. No, exactly. He has an old life. Yeah. No. What do you think, Peter? You know, rolling back the age is, wouldn't really matter. I just picked the number um, out of the air. Yeah. Because, again, it, as soon as we make him still old, so he still has all the things we were talking about being a man out of time and all that kind of thing. But it means that Pandora hasn't just been kicking her heels for five centuries. And I think that's, in all, you know, we keep talking about agency and get in, get in there. But we have to go over that point that actually that he's been doing this a long time and she's never really moved on him before. So yeah. playing with that age might actually help just tone it and, and bring it together a bit more. Gentlemen, I'm, I'm going to interject here. I'm, I'm watching the clock tick down and, and we're running out of time. So what I'd like to do is, is take uh, one last turn around the table as we wrap this up uh, uh, and, and uh, offer Peter some, some insights, some suggestions. We, I think we've done some really good character work here and, and explored different possible plot threads that could be explored. Uh, uh, let's try and tie this up in, in a nice bow and, and a, a package of literary gold uh, for Master O'Malley to go out with and, and just summarize final thoughts, suggestions, and, and ways that Peter can move forward to turn this idea into an awesome story. Kevin, we'll, we'll start with you, sir. Uh, final thoughts for Peter. 
I think my my summary would be to go back to what I've been saying all along <laughs> and, and just sort of say, make this your own, Peter. You know, this is a chance. You, you're creating a new world from scratch. And when we had our talk on the um, 20 minutes section, you know, one of the questions I was asked is, what's it like to be in your, I work so much with other properties, what's it like to write your own properties? Make sure with this one, you're not setting yourself in someone else's world because oh, this yeah. is your chance to to make something new. Use the tropes. Use the influences. Use the shorthand that people will go, all oh, right, no, I get this. It's in the same world as that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But, you know, everything we've been talking about, I think it's that thing to sort of go, you know, take it one step further. And it is a case of just stepping back sometimes and saying, okay, she's doing that or he's doing that or he's in a situation. What are the three other things they could be doing? And I think, you know, and again, we've not really sort of worked out what the portrait is or, you know, whatever, but have some time to think about that, you know, it, what what is it that this is central to this story and that itself will spin into new things right that's probably a little bit you know that's vague in a way i know but <laughs> it, i think i think it's the it, it's the kernel of everything you can get from this story because there's a lot there yeah. you know for, for you know, something that sort of that notes there's a lot of great stuff there but it's making it your own and i think that's what you really need to because we've given a lot of ideas in this yeah. but you need to sort of know well no this is what i can do this is the the you know the thing that i can bring to this and that and that really kind of echoes the the the, the last 45 minutes of discussion we have been kind yeah. of all over the place exploring things and and there is a there there is a, a core anchor point that needs to be found that's that's excellent yeah. advice Terry, what about you, sir? I think that that dovetails right into what I was going to say. I think the core anchor point in this is the three characters, Mm -hmm. Max, Ed, and Pandora. You've got to bind them all tightly together. You've got to have connections between them, and that has to drive the story going forward. The incidences that happen are the things you have to figure out, but really this is these people's stories and motivations playing out on the larger stage, and the closer you can bind them to one another – for good or evil or none of the above, the stronger your story is going to be because it's going to be important to them and it's going to be important to the reader. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I, and I will echo that as well. Peter, you've, you, you've, you've set the stage with these three characters and, and clearly the bulk of our discussion has been the relationships between them. We've, we've danced out into some world building and some exploration outside of that. But I, I think, you know, intentionally or not, you have fostered three powerful, dynamic, uh, uh, potentially very rich characters that have a complex relationship. And, and that I think is fascinating and, and delving into their, their motivations, their backgrounds, their interconnections as, as Terry, both Terry and Kevin have, has, have observed, uh, uh, is, is really going to be your expression, your infusion of you into this story as it goes forward and then finding those points of, of contention and then ratcheting them up as much as you possibly can never take an easy choice when, when why, why blow something up when you can nuclearize it, just, just weaponize <laughs> everything. Uh, uh, and, and let those, those points of tension, those points of contention serve as the foundation for the plot and the events that need to unfold to resolve them. Because I think ultimately that's that's what makes a good story. You know, the events that surround these characters serve as a vehicle to to either resolve the tension between them or break them utterly, depending on whether you're doing a heroic story or a tragedy. Uh, but this is this is good stuff, Peter. And 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 friend, thank you so much 
for for stepping up and and offering this. This has been a great discussion, and your story really has has been the essence of it. So thank you, Peter. It's it's much appreciated, sir. No problem, Dave. Well, and here's the deal: uh, as 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 it stands, always with the roundtable, is you take. <laughs> some, not all, because you can't possibly take all these ideas and turn it into one story. But you take some es- essence of this. You write this down. You you publish it up on your website as a PDF. You you uh, I don't know self pub indie pub doesn't matter. But you turn this into a story. You put it out there, and then we will have you back, and we will knight you. We will we will make you the steam knight of the round table podcast. That that is the carrot that we dangle before you, sir. Are you up for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Well, we will look forward to that time. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll start getting the, the Three Penny Opera theme music going. We'll, we'll start gathering the, the props and music for that glorious event. Kevin Scott, our, our, our illustrious guest host for this episode, thank you, sir. Your contributions were inspiring and, and delightful and really, I think, added some many 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 nuggets of literary gold that are already strewn about the floor so thank you sir for taking the time uh and joining in the froth man you're welcome it's been fantastic really enjoyed it (laughs) good times good times and terry mixon my wingman and co-host this has been a delight we had you on as a a guest writer as i recall uh Mm -hmm. uh, many moons ago and and it's been a, a genuine pleasure to to sit beside you virtually speaking uh uh and explore this story man i appreciate it let's do this again I absolutely agree. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. It shall be so. And as long as we're doling out gratitude, dear friends, as always, thank you for tuning in. Uh, uh, without you, we're just flailing in the dark. We're, we're just shouting to no purpose. Uh, I do hope that you got as much writerly goodness and literary gold out of this as we did. Uh, and if so, if you're feeling the love, a review on iTunes is always welcome. And, and I cannot help but, again, express gratitude and appreciation to everyone who has done so. Uh, it helps boost our standing, but it also, more importantly, connects us to you and lets you have some input into how things work. Uh, we do have a new roundtable podcast, which is sexy and awesome out there on Tay Interwebs, uh, which has a brand new and, and illustrious forum, which is built, baked right into the website. It's badass. Uh, uh, so please, if you've got ideas for Peter or, or some comments uh, uh, for Kevin or Terry or myself, that forum is definitely the place to go. We'll make sure there's a nice, tidy place. We can continue to dis- the discussion virtually. So there it is. We're done. We have done it again. I know, right? We're all collapsed back. We're ready for a whiskey and a cigarette. But the, here's the awesomeness of the roundtable, friends. Next week, it starts all over again. We're going to have another awesome guest host coming on, spreading spreading wisdom and insight into our ears. Another courageous guest writer bringing a nascent story idea for burnishment into literary gold. More roundtable goodness ensuing, as always. But that... That's seven days, man, and I know you're Jones, and you're already saying, Dave, we don't want to wait. Terry, give them give them something. What what can they do to bide their time between now and seven days from now, man? Writing, duh. <laughs> there it is. Duh. Get your practice in. Get your writing in. Put down the words, create those worlds. Only you can create the worlds you create, so why not do that? awesome and i will tell you as i always do dear friends you find what you're looking for so set your sights on some goodness some awesomeness look for the bright package the blue label goodness and if you look for it i promise you you will find it we will be back in just seven days so until then you guys stay cool be frothy be awesome and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye 
This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.